Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Awesome. You guys are totally better than first service. Don't tell them I said that. All right. Uh, man, I'm so glad to be here. Pastor Aaron uh, and, and Beth, I believe Beth, is, did Beth end up going with him? Yeah, they are actually going this weekend to visit some colleges with their oldest daughter. Crazy. Anybody ever had a, a child, your oldest child, leave the, oh, some of you were like, hallelujah, and some of you were weeping tears. I guarantee you, Pastor Aaron's going to be weeping tears. Just pray for him, all right? Just pray. Um, but man, I'm so privileged to be here with you today, and I just, I really sense that, uh, that the Lord has put a word on my heart for you and for me, and I pray that you are encouraged and lifted up and inspired as we, as we dig into the word together, and really it's based upon this thing, is that I believe that the word is very specific to us, that each one of you are called by God to do something very specific. No one is left out of receiving a calling from the Lord. And we're going to explore together what it means to fulfill and to embrace God's call for your life and what it means to hear God's voice and to trust it. And there are going to be three questions that we're going to address today. And on your uh, review, I want you to write these down. So grab a pen, grab your review if you got one. And I want you to write down these three questions before we get started. As we're searching, we're continuing this series, Search for the Sacred. These are three sacred questions for you. How do I measure success? How do I measure success? Am I ready to pursue God's call? Am I ready to pursue God's call? And three, will I accept God's appraisal? Will I accept God's appraisal? Now, you're going to have more time to write these down. How do I measure success? Am I ready to pursue God's call? And will I accept God's appraisal? And I'm going to do my best to help us answer these questions in a biblical sense from the, from the Word today. But you're going to need to wrestle with these questions, okay? This is not going to be a sheet of paper that you just put in your Bible and forget or throw in the trash as you get out. My hope is that you will take these questions and you will wrestle with them and really pray and think and seek God about what the answers to these questions are. But let's go to the Word first. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read together. No one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolish with God since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are meaningless. So no one should boast in human leaders for everything is yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, these are uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. These are the teachers that they had there. Or the word of life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He continues, a, for, a person should consider us in this way, the teachers, those who teach, uh, as servants of Christ and managers of God's mystery. Anybody want that like on your like title outside your door at your office? Manager of God's mysteries. I, th I think that'd be pretty sweet. Uh, in this regard, it is expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. 
The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, do not judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now let's go back to our three questions there. How do I measure success? Am I ready to pursue God's call? And will I accept God's appraisal? What we see in the scriptures is Paul is painting for us a different picture. A picture that compares the wisdom of the world with with God's wisdom. A picture that compares our judgments of who we are and who our leaders are and God's judgment of those people. And for each of us, we all have this thing called a standard, a bar, right? Something has to be above the bar. Your, your kids have a different standard of cleanliness in their rooms than you do, right? Amen. Shout it out. Come on. Hanky time, you know, right? Uh, you may have a different standard of some things than others. You know, when uh, in 2006, 2005, Jen and I bought our first house, and this is what we call the Wayne Street house. It's in, uh, ironically, it's in Aubrey, Texas. I know, I know. The joke has been worn over, <laughs> okay. Oh, you're Aubrey from Aubrey. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, stop. All right, 8916 Wayne Street, and this was a, really a great home for us. We loved it, but it came time to sell it, and the year was 2008, yeah, yeah, you know how I'm feeling, right? But we put it on the market, hopefully, we were excited. We put it on the market for $115,000. I mean, this is like rich, big-time money here, okay? I was working at a church, you know, so I mean. But $115,000, right? And we had someone who came and accepted. They made an offer. They said, we will pay you $115,000. And we were like, yes. We're not going to lose money. We're not going to make money, but we're going to break even. It's going to be okay. Anybody ever been in that place, right? And then there's this one little step, though, that you have to go through, and it's this person that stands between you and the offer that you got in there called the appraiser. If you're an appraiser in this room, I love you. I really do. I understand your job is hard. You've got you've to manage the market. You know, you've got to think about the comps in the area. You've got to look at the trends in the market. And the trends in 2008 were not up and to the right, let's just say, okay? It was down and to the right, okay? It was not going good. I understand. But the appraiser came, and they came back, and they said, this house is worth $110,000. I was like, no, no. Like, this guy says he wants to pay $115,000, but he can't pay that to me? You're telling me he can't pay me five extra thousand dollars because he really wants to? He signed on the dotted line, but because you say that it's $110,000, oh man, my blood's getting boiled. Anybody been in that situation, right? I mean, in the, it, it, they say buy low, sell high. We bought high and sold low. It was bad, all right? And I was like, Market value should be what someone is willing to pay for the house. You know what market value says to me? It says, hey, we're going to sell this house for $115,000. Yes, I'll pay that. Market value, right? There is someone in the market 
who is willing to pay a certain value, right? Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Appraisers, I love you. I was, I've gotten past it. Because, you know what happened? <laughs> you know what happened? And this is how the Lord works. Sometimes you get upset. Sometimes you're moaning and you're I can't believe it, God. I thought you were with me. You know, and all that. And then, well, because the market was so bad, we bought low. And then when we sold the house in 2014, we sold high. And God more than made up for the deficit that we experienced in that other house. God blessed us, and Lord bless you appraisers. Amen? All right. But the problem was that the appraiser had authority, and the appraiser also had a different standard by which they were measuring the value of our house than we did. And their standard and their authority won in the end. And we all have those different standards. And I just want to look at a few things that we might have different standards on together. Okay, so what is your standard of steak? Okay, um, this first place here, man, let's go on down to Golden Corral, man. They got the, they got the best steaks in, there, in, the, in the country, man. It's so good. You know, they got them just laid out there in the pan and they're just sitting there waiting for you. You can take three or four. They're awesome, right? If, is this your standard of, of steakhouse, right? Or maybe you're a Hendersonvillian, you like Texas Roadhouse, get a little ribeye and some of those like rattler things, you know, like they're really good. Okay, and you're like, yeah, I got this. It's affordable, but not crazy, right? But not Golden Corral. Okay, and then the third is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Anybody? Anybody ever been here? Anybody ever been? Anybody ever been there when somebody else wasn't paying for it? Right? I've never been there when somebody hadn't paid for it, but thankfully. Uh, and, and another thing, I got a little beef with this place. What in the world is with the name? Ruth's Chris? Like, is that different than Laura's Chris or like John's Chris or something? Like, why Ruth's? Is it, what is a Chris Steakhouse? I don't get it. Anyway, their steaks are good, doesn't matter. The first place I went that actually, they say you could cut the steak with a fork, and you really could. Oh, it's getting close to lunchtime. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Glad y'all are here. Bless you. All right. <laughs> um, how about, I'm going to step on somebody's toes here right now, but how about your standard of coffee? All right, now. What about this? Some of you are like, the best part of waking up is Folgers all the way. I love Folgers. It's the best tasting cup. They don't care what they say, right? Some of you are full, and some of you are like, I would not drink Folgers if they paid me money. If they brought it to me in a hot Yeti cup, I would not do it, right? Some of you, this is your standard Starbucks. Some of you are like, yes, please. I want to pay ungodly amounts of money for coffee. Oh, yes. Yes, $10? Perfect. Thank you. Can you add a little more to that? Can you give me two of those? Venti, venti, thank you. Yes, right? And some of you are like, Starbucks, they burn those beans. I can't stand the taste. It's, I can't even see how people stomach it, right? That's my mama back there. She was back there in first service. Called her out on that, right? And then some of you are like this. If you don't have a beard, you cannot drink real coffee. Or you can't make it, at least. This is the, the Chemex, the pour-over method. And you're like, well, unless it's pour-over, you know, Ethiopian beans and the... And if you use the word bloom when you describe coffee, you're a coffee snob. Okay, all right, I'm just with you. You may love it. It's perfect. That's awesome. I actually don't drink any of it. This is water, okay? So, but you have a different standard, right? How about this last one here? You, every one of us has a different standard of cool, 
Okay, what about this guy right here? Anybody? Anybody? Hey, right? Right? Some of you were like, when y'all were growing up, you had your comb and your pomade, and you were like in front of the mirror like, hey. Yeah, right? Right? How about this guy right here? Yeah. Yo, home, smell you later, right? Fresh Prince. Dude, he's pretty cool. All right. About this girl, huh? Katniss Everdeen. I don't know about Jennifer Lawrence, but Katniss is pretty cool, right? But see, here's, here's the thing. These are all funny examples. And we have different standards in each of these. You know, some of you drink Folgers. Some of you drink the pour over, whatever. And there are reasons why you do that. But the problem comes when our standards don't match in areas that really matter. Coffee, you can have arguments about coffee all day long, but at the end of the day, if your relationships are torn up because of differences of opinion on coffee, you don't have a relationship, okay? All right, let's, but when it comes to standards about things that really matter, we have to live in a world together, working with, collaborating with, being married to people who have different definitions of what it means to be successful, of what it means to be good, to have a good life. And the reality is that we all struggle because we all have different standards of measurement. Am I right? You ever done that? You ever struggled with your spouse, struggled with your friend, your girlfriend, your brother? You got a different standard than they have? Maybe some of your coworkers have a different standard of work ethic than you, right? You're like, amen, amen. They need to get to work. You'd have a light of fire under them, right? You know? The essential dilemma is how we measure success, though, will directly affect and determine how successful we feel. How we measure it will determine how successful we feel we are at having it. So back to question number one, how do I measure success? You, know, you should know this. If you don't answer this question firmly in your life, you will be at the mercy of everyone else's definition and everyone else's answer to this question. There are marketers out there that get paid lots of money to spend all their lives, every bit of creative energy they have to figure out how they can define and answer this question for you, right? And so we end up with a house full of really awesome stuff and we have cars and we have all these things and we're experiences and we have boats and different stuff and cool shoe game and all that. And we got all this and we're like, I thought this was supposed to make me happy, right? And the reason it's not making you happy is because you have a different measurement. You are made to have a different measurement of what success is. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is the question that must be asked in, in companion with how do I measure success? It is how does God measure my success? If you are leaving this out as a Christ follower, you're missing it. How does God measure my success? You know, when I was growing up, we grew up in a charismatic church uh, where at summer camps, we had nights, whole, whole days and nights that were dedicated to your calling. This was the third night of camp. And every, every third night of camp, you could like go anywhere in the country to a camp like this. And the third night of camp was calling night. You know, 
Did you receive the call from the Lord? Are you called to full-time ministry? Are you called to Africa, to Asia, to Mozambique? or Zimbabwe? Are you called? And did you receive the call, right? And I'm not trying to belittle that. I do believe that God calls us to specific places. But the problem was that it, for those who didn't hear the call, it made them feel very inferior spiritually. They felt like, man, well, I guess God doesn't care about me because they heard the call and I didn't. And if you are in that place, you should know, you need to know that God has called every one of you. That full-time ministry is what happens when you give your life over to Jesus. Go and make disciples. The Great Commission, it's not just for the spiritual elite. It is for you and for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So if you have sat around, walked around your life thinking you were unworthy of God's calling, you have believed a lie because God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And get this, it's not just so that you could bask in his glory and, and have fun. It's because he has called you for a purpose. His kingdom and his will involves you. He is calling you. And I sat around one night with a bunch of my friends and these group of guys that I was really close to. And one guy, he was called to uh, be a, a lead pastor, a senior pastor. And another guy was called to be a youth pastor. Another guy was called to be uh, a, a, a worship leader or something. And I, and I was left out. I was like, well, I guess I'm called to be a children's pastor. You know, I was like, I guess I'll accept that call. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to fit in. What I didn't realize is that God had already called me. So let's, let's stop that. See, God's sacred calling is not reserved for anyone. It is offered to everyone. God's sacred call is this. The sacred call of the Lord is to be near him. Let's not get this confused. That success in biblical terms can be clearly defined as nearness to God. And if there is anything you are doing in the name of Jesus for the work of God, and yet it is not bringing you nearer to God, then what you have is not the calling of God. You have what's something that looks kind of like it, but that lacks the power of it. You have something that looks kind of like it, but will not give you life. Instead of giving you life, it will suck the life out of you. The sacred call of the Lord is to be near him. Let's not overcomplicate it. And yes, the Lord will call you to do things. He may call you to go to a foreign place and be a missionary. That is within the realms of God's call. He may call you to start a business. He may call you to start a nonprofit. He may call you to be a leader in your family or whatever. But if it does not begin with being nearer to him, if it does not result in you being nearer to him, it is not the call of the Lord. It is not the primary sacred call of the Lord to be near to you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus, coming to you, calling to you at the door of your heart, saying, I want to come in. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have the kind of relationship where I can sit across the table from you and it not be dreadfully awkward. Anybody remember the Mason Jar restaurant? Man, 
Oh, man, my stomach's, I'm talking about food all the time. I'm sorry. Okay, but the mason jar, man, it was awesome. It was right there by the Rivergate Skate. You know, you could get full on meat and three and then go over and puke at the Rivergate Skate Center, you know, rolling around. Okay, it was awesome. It was like the shotgun-style restaurant, and it had tables on each side, and Miss Ruby was there. Anybody remember Miss Ruby? God rest her soul. She passed away just recently. Man, she was a nice lady. She could cook good food, but she'd get with you. And if you walked in just by yourself or with one other person, she wasn't afraid to sit you at a table with a stranger. She wasn't afraid to just pull you along. And you were like, okay, yes, Miss Ruby. She's like this tall, right? But she's that kind of lady. And she's pulling you on. Listen, there's nothing more awkward than eating an open-faced roast beef sandwich beside someone you do not know. Yeah, I'm... Sorry, <laughs> you know, you're not even eavesdropping on their conversation. You're in the conversation, right? I mean, you're, this is not a big place. You're shoulder to shoulder. You're elbowing each other. You're, when you get your toothpick, you're sharing it. I mean, it's that close, all right? But Jesus is calling you to the kind of relationship where you could sit across the table from him and you can eat with him. And you can come and receive nourishment from him. And you can have a conversation with him. Jesus is calling you nearer. That's the primary call of God as he says, Behold, I stand at your door. I came to you to knock. And if you'll let me in, we will be in such a relationship that we can eat together. That we can enjoy one another's company. You are not a stranger to God. And you may be asking a question like, well, what, I understand that. I want to be near to God, but what am I called to do? Anybody ever ask that question? I want to know what I'm called to do, or what am I here for? What, what, what am I supposed to do? And I always tell people this, especially uh, college students or, or, or students, high school students going into college, they're all worried about where am I going to go? What am I going to major in? What am I going to do when I get out of college? And we gotta, I always tell them, hey, wait, wait. Before you answer those questions, God's calling can be wrapped up in this first question, which is, it's who before how, when, what, where, why? Meaning, God is much more concerned with who you are becoming and you pursuing the life that he has called you to, the person he has called you to be. He is much more primarily concerned with that than he is about the where, what, when, how, and why. If you will focus on becoming who God has called you to be, all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you will focus on becoming who God wants you to be, you will be where God wants you to be. Because how do you know? How do you know what somebody wants from you? What's the best way to know? To ask them. To be close to them. If you're going to ask them, you've got to be close to them. You know, sometimes my wife, she, you know, we have different interpretations of what needs to be, what needs to happen, right? And I think I'm helping her. I'm helping her by like, I'm going to go clean out the garage. I'm going to help her. She's going to have a nice garage to pull her van into. And all the while, the kids are like inside screaming and stuff. And I come in, I'm like, baby, I cleaned the garage. And she's like, where have you been? No, she doesn't do that. She's not that kind of girl. No, I mean, we have different interpretations of what her desire, of what helping her was, right? And all I had to do was just ask her, right? Hey, how can I help you? Instead of just assuming how I need to help her, right? 
If you want to know God's will, if you want to know when, where, how, and what, and all that stuff, be near to him. You see, God's measurement of your success begins with your nearness to him. It's measured in obedience. It's measured in eternal calculations. Some of you have been pursuing God's call and you don't feel like it's making any waves. Listen, if you are near to him and you are obeying him when he calls you, there is no other measurement for you because God's measurement is not temporary. God's measurement is beyond your lifetime. God's measurement and his plan is eternal. And if you're just basing your success and your feeling of success in what you see with your eyes about what God is doing through you, you're not looking with God's eyes. You're not judging. You're not, you're not having godly wisdom. You're having man's wisdom. Look with God's eyes. Think eternally. So God has called you. Are you ready to pursue? And the question, question number two is this. Am I ready to pursue God's call? Am I ready? Ooh, this is a tough one. This is where I get stuck. I want to read to you a story from Judges chapter 6, the story of Gideon. One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, not Oprah, uh, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite. I didn't take that class in college, I'm sorry, uh, the pronouncing Hebrew names whose son Gideon, I got that one, uh, was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God, we have it? God is with you, <laughs> O mighty warrior. Gideon replied, with, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miraculous wonders our parents, see he's thinking in his own terms, right? thinking him very temporary with his eyes, right? What about all the wonders our parents and grandparents told us about? Didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian, but God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, me? He still doesn't get it, right? Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. Gideon and God had a different standard of measurement for Gideon's readiness. Gideon thought, look at me. I mean, you're coming to me? My family is a family of weenies. And then I am the weeniest of my whole family. Like, I'm the smallest. I'm, I'm the weakest. Now, listen, you need to go back and think differently about this, God. You need to reassess. You need to rejudge me because according to my calculations, this is impossible. But you've got to stop comparing God's idea and God's view of you with your idea of yourself. The only comparison that God is calling you to make is to his holiness and perfection. And there is only one answer to that. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But God's answer to this problem is Jesus. 
In Luke 4, Jesus gives his his mission statement. He says, I've come to set the captives free. He wants to set you free from the bondage of your own self-assessment, of your own low standards, and of the standards of others that have been placed upon you. And listen, if you don't get anything else, I just want you to, everybody pay attention. I I, I know that this is from from the Lord today. He wants somebody to hear this. You don't become qualified when you deem yourself qualified. If you are surrendered to Jesus, you don't get to decide when you are ready. That's hard. That's hard to live, isn't it? I mean, Jen and I, we have felt the call of the Lord on our lives to do this kind of parenting, family ministry thing. And we wanted to help families, you know, pursue God's adventure together and help them create a Christ-centered identity in their kids and all this. And man, every day I wake up going, I don't, I can't do this. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy that walks around giving people parenting advice, okay? Nobody wants to be that person, right? I don't want to be that person. But if I am following Jesus, if I've said, Jesus, you have my life, then I don't get to decide if I'm ready or not. I don't get to decide that, well, if I don't feel like it today, I'm not going to follow. No, I said I surrender my life to you, and the only answer for me is yes. The only answer for you is yes. See, the story you're, you're telling yourself is that your sin or your weakness or your lack of knowledge is keeping you from being used by God. You say, I'm weak, but God already knows you're weak. You say, I'm not qualified, but God knows what disqualifies you. And yet his sacred calling remains. Despite your objections, despite your own self-assessment, his calling remains. He is calling you nearer. You see, God calls liars. God calls people who hurt people. God calls cheaters and people who fail to make good choices. God calls people who have short tempers and bad habits. God calls people who speak unkindly to others. He calls drunks and depressed people and murderers and broken and wounded people. And God is calling you nearer too. And there is nothing that you can do, no explanation you can give him that will remove the power of the work of Jesus Christ over your life. That is the power of God's call. And for us to shrink back and say, oh, I just can't believe it, God. Are you serious? That's where our question number three comes in. Will I accept God's appraisal? Will I accept God's appraisal of my life, the value of my life? How crazy would it be if you have a home on the market right now and you want to sell it for $450,000? And somebody comes and says, you know what? I'm going to offer you seven. I'm going to offer you 700. I think your home is worth. And the appraiser comes by and he says, yep, it's worth 700. And you're like, whoa, hold on just a second. I can't accept that $250,000, okay? I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I just don't think the house is worth that much, guys. What? Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Somebody is laying $250,000 in your lap? No, nobody would do that. Why are you doing that in your life? Why am I doing that? Why do we listen to the voice in our head that says we are worthless, that we are, we are washed up, that we're past our prime, that everything, we've ruined it. Why are we listening to that when God says you plus Jesus is infinite worth? 
This is the calculation. You plus Jesus equals infinite worth. This is how you should see and I should see our call in the Lord. You plus Jesus equals impossible things. On the scale of your life, you have been weighed and measured and found wanting, but Jesus, when you invite him into your life, he sits on the scale with you. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When God measures you, he measures Jesus. And you plus you plus you plus all your efforts plus all your work equals zero, but you plus Jesus equals impossible things. And think about it, guys. If, if just the people in this room would embrace that kind of calling, would have the tenacity and the boldness to say, I'm not listening to those voices and those lies anymore. I'm listening to the voice of my Father who says, I am infinitely worthy. That impossible things are not impossible with you. If Think about how the world would change if just the people in this room would embrace that. Because God... has great things, a great calling for you. And just like in 1 Corinthians we read, you will be judged according to that calling. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the appraisal that I gave you? Did you receive the riches and the freedom that comes from receiving my value and my call and being near to me? Or did you stand back and refuse to believe me? God is calling you. God has called you. He's drawing you nearer. You see, you're not meant to live and succeed according to the currency of material things. According to the currency of followers and more likes, of square footage or of pounds on a scale. That's not your currency. You were made to live according to the currency of grace. And in this economy, through God and the standard of Jesus, you are infinitely rich. The exchange rate in this economy is eternally in your favor. Are you ready to pursue God's call? Jesus says yes. What about you? We go back to that 1 Corinthians scripture 3, 21. For all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. For all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Will you say that with me? For all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is is God's. Now, I want you to put me, a personal pronoun, in there. For all things are mine, and I am Christ, and Christ is God's. Write this on the palm of your hand. Write this on your mirror in your car. Write this wherever you can see it, wherever you look at it, wherever you will see it, over and over again, for all things are yours. Christ, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. That is the answer. How do you become successful? You become nearer and nearer to God. Will you accept God's appraisal?